Welcome back to the McCann Dogs Podcast. This is episode 61, and today we are going to be talking about something that everyone does with their dog, whether you uh, you know live in a rural area or you are in the most urban of settings. There will be times when you need your dog to walk nicely on leash. Uh, joining us today will be instructor Shannon Viljasu. She's the director of online training from the My Dog Can program, and she often joins me in the podcasts. Well, she always joins me in the podcasts to have conversations about dog training theories about the why behind how dogs think and learn and today she's got uh, it looks like eight steps eight specific things that you can do to help your dog to walk nicely on leash and let's jump into that i'm ken steep and welcome back to mccann dogs <coughs> shannon i'd say that walking nicely on leash is one of the biggest reasons that people want to take a dog training course. Uh, I, I, re I very clearly remember, very clearly, vividly, before I ended up at McCann Dogs, taking my dog Deegan for a walk. And uh, she was uh, spinning like the Tasmanian devil. She was spinning around at the end of her leash. I had this elderly couple who lived down the road a little way from me that I'd, I'd always walk by their house. And uh, they would always be sitting on their chairs on their porch and they would uh, be smiling and laughing. They'd always wave. They thought it was hilarious. And they would always say, who's walking who? Uh, and that was, you know, a little bit embarrassing for me. And it was just sort of added to the frustration when I was being pulled down the street. I, I mean, I may maybe I could have taken advantage of it and worn rollerblades and, and some sort of uh, waist belt so that Deegan could pull me down the street. But that's not ultimately what I wanted. In your blog post that you created, you have some tips for to teach uh, people's dogs to walk nicely on leash. And what do you think are some of the more important factors when it comes to starting to teach your dog to walk nicely on a loose leash? Uh, first and foremost, don't start out there on a walk. <laughs> start somewhere quieter. Um, start in your living room. Start in a bedroom where nothing's going on. Uh, a nice, quiet location in your house. What we want to do when we're teaching any new skill with a dog is we want to make sure there's not a lot of competing motivators or distractions in the environment so that we can have our dog's full attention on us. And I would also keep sessions very short, especially if you're working with a young dog. You know, if you're working with a little, if you've got a rescue dog, for example, and you're, you're starting from scratch teaching them to walk nicely on leash, they probably will have a little bit more in them. But when you're working with a puppy, their attention spans are so short. They tire out so quickly. You know, there's a lot of things that'll start working against you if your training sessions are too long. So those are the first two things I would say is start in a quiet location and start with a, a willing and hungry dog and make sure that you're not keeping making those sessions too, too long with them. We uh, published a video on the YouTube channel not that long ago about some first week puppy training that you can do with your dog and a really important one. And, and I think it's something that people, maybe they don't really know the value in until they've done it, is teaching their dog to follow food, using your lure uh, to really show the dog that there's they will be rewarded if they follow food. And, and I know that's one of the initial steps that you talk about to teaching your dog to walk without pulling. You talked about having a hungry dog. What other, what other tips do you have for having a dog follow food a little bit more closely? 
Yeah. Have something that your dog really, really likes. You know, um, if you are working with kibble or Cheerios and you've got a young puppy with a short attention span, you might lose their attention before you've even gotten started. So have some really yummy treats, cut them up nice and small so that your puppy doesn't get full too, too quickly and start out with really simple luring exercises. You know, a lot of the times what we do as humans is we go for the end result. So we have our puppy and we've got our food and we're ready to lure and instead of showing the puppy how to follow the food we do some really fast gesture with our hands and the puppy's totally lost of course so start nice and slow you might start with just moving your your lure slowly enough that your dog can follow it for a step and then yes and reward that um, you might start with some positions you might start with a spin or just moving your dog around your legs you know keep it nice and light and simple initially and make sure that the rate of reinforcement is very high and your dog will turn into a luring machine. I love the idea of keeping the rate of reinforcement really high. I know that uh, that's especially important when it comes to something like trick training. I mean, um, it applies to a lot of dog training is when you show your dog that it is valuable to uh, lie down to be reward, though they will be rewarded by simply remaining in position and certainly for walking on a loose leash because there is so much distraction and especially when you have an excited little puppy there's so much um desire to be wiggling about in exploring their environment that uh being able to show them that being in at your side or following this food is of value you also talk about building value for the control position and what is the control position Control position is dogs sitting at your left hand side. Actually, not even necessarily sitting. They can be sitting in control position. They can stand in control position. Control position is basically their shoulder about in line with the front of your leg at your side. And this is one of the early lessons that I teach my puppies. I want to make sure that I have a means of tucking my dog into my side quickly so that I can work on further things. So I might bring him into my side so I can work on attention. I might bring him into my side so that I can have somebody come in and greet him if I'm working on greeting manners. There's so many things that will start out of control position. So I would um, first make sure that my dog learned that control position is a fabulous place to be so that when I tell my dog get in, he's lickety split going to want to be there because he's got such a high history of reinforcement for that spot. Yeah, I, I love um, in the article you talk about using your yes, and this is especially important when it comes to little d young dogs or those real wiggle bums, those dogs who uh, are in the right position for a, a brief period and then move. Uh, using the yes to capture that moment is so such an important thing in dog training. It will buy you the time to uh, get in there and reinforce. It'll also mark that specific behavior or position that you really, really want. And uh, in speaking speaking to the value of your yes how important is using a, a, a yes or a, some sort of marker whether it's maybe a clicker in teaching your dog to walk on a loose leash it's absolutely crucial. I would say yes or click is is crucial in teaching your dog anything. Yes or clicker is actually a marker and it says that's where you have earned your reward. Um, to put this in perspective for people, if you think about dolphins and dolphin training, they use a whistle 
as a marker. And the reason that's important is because when a dolphin is out there and they leap out of the water, there's no way you're going to be able to get them that fish in the middle of their leap. You need something to say that is where you've earned the reward. So the dolphin leaps out of the water, the whistle comes at the peak of their leap or, you know, depending on what they're trying to teach. And then the dolphin knows I've earned reward and swims over and gets their fish. So the delay in that reward it's such a huge thing because dogs learn instantly or within a second of any behavior. So that marker is what conditions them to understand what they've done right and why they've earned that reward. And as we remove the food from the situation, we have our yes remaining to let our dogs know that they're right. We don't want it to be the food that lets the dog know they're right. And just as a bit of an aside, um, teaching a dolphin to walk nicely on a loose leash is markedly more difficult than it is to teach your puppy to walk nicely on a loose leash. I have no trouble with that. I don't know. And, and, and placing, I don't even know how I would place the sit. I don't know how that would happen, but, um, yeah, we're diving deep in this episode. So you talk about luring short patterns and I, I know that, um, something that, people will often ask when they, uh, as they're learning how to teach their dog to walk nicely is that they will say, you know, he, he walks great for the first, oh, minute, minute and a half, maybe two minutes as we're going for a walk around the block. And then I struggle for the rest of the time. And this is sort of a common thing. People will, um, sort of stretch that distance, stretch that time out a little bit too long for their dog. And if you're introducing this as a new skill to your young dog, puppy, or, or maybe an adolescent dog in training, uh, you need to be have short, successful sessions. Now, walking in a straight line isn't the only way to reinforce that nice walking. What, what other? You also mentioned another way in your blog post. Definitely. I would actually use a lot of different directions, changes of direction. I don't want to simply keep going straight because that gives my dog an opportunity to zone out and to forget that he's supposed to be focusing and uh, also just to get innocently distracted by things in the environment. So what I want to do, if I'm finding that I take my show on the road, I go out there on the street and I'm starting to work with my dog and I'm losing his focus, couple of things. I'm either not, I don't have a high enough history of reinforcement for that exercise, or I've put him in a situation where he's in over his head. And unfortunately, what that does is it creates a scenario where now he's rehearsing the wrong behavior and I'm actually shooting myself in the foot, proverbially proverbially speaking, and I'm making myself um, pile up the work later on down the road to go back and teach my dog the right things. So what I want to do is keep it simple, keep those lured patterns short, and not go from zero to 100. So I'm not going to go from working in my living room to then walking my dog to the park. That is going to be too much too soon. I might go from my living room to the driveway, or I might go from my living room to the backyard or the sidewalk out front of the house. And I'm going to work short patterns. I really, really, really find it useful in my training with young puppies to set a timer on my phone because I will usually overdo it quite a bit if I don't. I actually realized that when I was videoing some of my training sessions, when I would get back to the video and look and see how long it was, I thought I would think that it was exponentially longer than I had felt like it was. So I set a timer on my phone now when I'm working with a young puppy, you know, five to 10 minutes. 
And I will make sure that when that timer goes off, the session is over and we go back in the house or, or finish up with something else that we're doing. And those short little durations of training, within those durations, I'm going to make sure that I have, you know, if I'm working on my driveway, teaching my dog to walk nicely on a loose lead, I am probably going to do 30 or 40 different short patterns within that, changes of direction, etc., because it's very quick to get those repetitions in, get in lots of reinforcement for control position, and then call it a day at that. And it keeps it fun for the puppy, but it also keeps it fun for you as a trainer. I mean, there's we see um, some skills that, uh, that people work on because of their uh, because it's enjoyable or because of their ability to do it something like the stay for example is simple easy to do you can do it in all sorts of locations but oftentimes if people are uh, you know really good about training uh at home or wherever, uh, those skills will excel because they can be really fun and you can do them really quickly in sh short sessions but you have to want to do these things. It, you know, it makes it fun for you as well. One of the things that people will occasionally mention, especially if they have a smaller dog, is they'll jokingly say, oh, you know, all this reinforcement and rewarding, my back starts to hurt. These yeah. short, short sessions will make your life uh, a little bit easier if you have a little tiny dog and having uh, trained a toy poodle, I, I, I can completely appreciate the challenge of it. But you've included a tip, a sort of a dog trainer's secret for uh, those of our listeners who might have a tiny dog. And what, what sort of thing, unusual thing can they use to help them teaching their dog to walk on a loose leash? Absolutely. Save your back. Get some sort of an extension to your arm. And, you know, you can use a back scratcher. You can use a wooden spoon. Um, we have a, a collapsible back scratcher at the training hall that we will often loan out in classes for people with young dogs. And smear some peanut butter or cheese whiz on that. You can use a wrapping paper roll if you want to. You know, anything that you can use to get more upright, but still have a means of reinforcing the dog quickly and a means of luring in the early stages as well. That's really, really, really an awesome thing to be able to do with a small dog. And people are always amazed at the, it's such a simple thing, but it's, people are always amazed when you say, oh, you can, why don't you try a wooden spoon or why don't you try a back scratcher? Um, yeah. Maybe, I mean, if you're Inspector Gadget, it's less of a concern because he does have the go-go <laughs> gadget arms. He could, you know, be as tall as he needs to be and, and walk the tiniest of uh, teacup um, chihuahuas. But um, for those of us with regular length arms and regular length <laughs> legs, we do need some sort of arm extender. When, when you talked about getting more upright, it's so important and something not only getting more upright, but not looking so formal when you're walking your dog. You know, we do, we are encouraging a, a sort of a healing position, but we're not looking for that kind of formality because we don't want our walks to be stiff and, uh, you know, very super formal. Um, but getting more upright is a crucial step into teaching your dog to walk nicely on leash. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, the value of, of getting up a little bit taller. Yeah. So uh, like you said, eventually we want to be able to walk normally. So right now we're bending over, we're luring, we're encouraging, we're using lots of voice and lots of cajoling to help our dogs find this motivating and fun. But eventually we want to just be able to 
walk and have our dogs walk nicely with us. So once you have taught the lure and taught position and started to establish value for control position and walking there, you want to start to wean away from those necessities. So standing up a little bit taller, and this is where with a little dog, those extendable and retractable things will come in so, so handy because you can retract them a little bit more and more and maintain that more upright body position so that it's a, a more natural looking position for you when you transition away from having to use any sort of props and any sort of help to have your dog walk nicely beside you. And part of that getting more upright includes fading the lure a little bit. You know, we do for sure start off with that donkey and carrot routine because we know we can teach our dogs to be successful uh, when they really don't have a great understanding of what we want at the beginning. But we don't want, I don't want to have to go and cut up training treats for the next 12 to 15 years every time I go for a walk with my dog. So, uh, you know, fading the lure is a, a really important step into uh, transitioning into having that nice walking on lead. Definitely. And and what I always like to tell people is that you're luring and showing with food for a very short period of time, but we want to transition to a point where our dogs are still getting reinforced first. So we're not going from, I've got a cookie in my hand and I'm luring you to no food, no help in one step. I, I mean, there's probably steps from one to a hundred in that whole process, just little tiny changes in what you're going to do. And the first step in fading the lure is getting it off your dog's nose and getting it up towards your body more, um, what we want to do is start to tuck it into our hand or eventually tuck it into our pocket so that it's it's coming as reinforcement. So that means I've said yes or I've clicked for good behavior that I've gotten from my dog and then delivered the treat. And that's the step that a lot of times people miss in training with food. There, there's always somebody that will say food doesn't work in training because my dog became so reliant on it. He would only listen if I had a cookie in my hand. And that's because you're missing the weaning process. You know, we don't want to go from here's my cookie and I'll show you how to do it to no food in one in one step because the dog will very quickly decide, oh, you know what? You don't have a cookie and I have no idea what you want me to do. So I'm going to get distracted and I'm going to wander off and sniff the floor, etc. It's not that the dog's saying I won't do it unless you show me food. It's that the dog has only learned that food cues them to start working because you haven't weaned away from the food. So put the food in your pocket. Make sure that when you are getting what you like, you mark with your yes or your click and then reach and reward. And the dog will, it'll be a nice seamless transition as long as you're still getting some rewards to your dog. And then you're going to dwindle down on the rewards, of course. But we want our dogs to know what the cues are with the food no longer in the picture, with the food coming as reinforcement rather than as lure. This is a really fluid process for each dog, for a lot of environmental situations, for, for different distractions. Uh, you know, as we, it doesn't mean we're not rewarding. It just means maybe we're re rewarding less frequently in a specific area. I can think of an example where, uh, you know, t teaching a dog to walk, there was a baseball game going on. I was teaching a dog to walk in at my side and uh, the crack of the bat or the kids running around was really distracting. So I needed to use more frequent reinforcement. You know, I could walk all the way up to the park with uh, a hand, you know, a handful, I mean, like four or five rewards to reinforce that great position. But once we got near that difficult distraction, I needed to give them 10 
more rewards. You're rewarding them for being in a great position. I could also sort of um, uh, create a little greater distance. So it wasn't so hard for them, but it is a fluid process. You know, we're not, um, we're not uh, rewarding on schedule. The other thing that I think about is, uh, you know, some, we, we are so likely to develop patterns as humans. Uh, so, you know, every five steps, somebody will yes and reward or every, you know, whatever, uh, every time they make a turn, then they'll yes and reward. And those are the only times that they reward because they've developed this pattern. But we do need to randomly reinforce some of that great behavior. Maybe it's a tough distraction or, you know, maybe it's just uh, as, as a surprise to reinforce your dog for that great position. But when we talk about uh, reducing the amount of reinforcement, it's got to be a fluid process uh, dependent on your dog's success. Most definitely. And and if you encounter distractions on the street, you're going to go back to having a, a higher rate of reinforcement with your dog. You know, if another dog's passing by, you're not going to stick to, oh, well, I'm today I'm working with only three cookies for my walk, so we can't have one now because I need it for here and here. You've got to be able to adapt to the situation and to reinforce the dog for making good choices in those scenarios. You mentioned um, basically setting preparing yourself to, to do the training when you talk about the amount of uh, rewards that you have. Another thing that's really important that we haven't really talked about too much in this episode is uh, leash, how you how to handle your leash and how to, you know, have the right amount of leash available to your dog without being too much. Talk about the uh, how being prepared uh, with leash in hand can be great for teaching your dog to walk on a loose leash. Definitely. That's a great thing to bring up. Um, it, it, mechanics are so important in your training. And I, um, I always recommend to people when they, when they're first working with their dogs and they're feeling like they've got four thumbs and two, uh, four feet, and I almost said two feet, <laughs> four feet. And they're just, you, you know, they're, they're falling over themselves and trying to figure it out. I always say, you know what, attach the leash to the dog crate and, or a fence or something stationary and just practice. Practice. practice holding the leash, practice your maneuvering techniques with the leash, um, and practice having what we like to call a nice, gentle J-shape. What's important is that the dog doesn't have tension on their collar. If we have a tight leash, so not enough leash out, the dog will constantly feel that tension. And our goal one day should always be to be able to get the same response from our dogs without the leash on. So we need to make sure that the pressure on the dog's collar is going to feel relatively the same, whether there's a leash on or a leash off. If you have too much leash out, you're going to be tripping over it. Your dog's going to be tripping over it. But if you have too little, you're setting yourself up to have to really backtrack in training to ever be able to get off leash. So nice, gentle J-shape. Yeah, we, we mustn't overlook how important that loose leash is when you're teaching your dog to uh, to walk nicely. Uh, people will often, students will, will often, you know, hold that leash a little bit tight thinking that because their dog's in the right position that they're being successful but it's so vitally important as we you know we we talk about the McCann method being a you know a choice allowing your dog to make a choice and then rewarding them for the right choice or showing them how to be right if they make the wrong choice but your dog does need to choose otherwise you very quickly become dependent on a tight leash to maintain that position in at your side 
Definitely. And that is a huge cue. We talked about cues. We talked about um, dogs having food in their face as a cue to start working if there's no weaning process away from that food. It's the same thing with the leash. If you're constantly holding tight on the leash, that's cueing the dog that they need to be in a certain state, they need to be following in a certain position, et cetera, et cetera. And then as soon as you loosen off on that, the cue to walk nicely, the cue that your dog has learned to walk nicely being that tight leash is gone. So they're no longer going to walk nicely. So it's actually setting yourself up and, and making you have to backtrack in your training if you're working with that tight leash. So a nice loose lead so that the dog's brain is engaged rather than them just relying on that feeling of tension to know they have to do a certain job at that point. And that way, when we take the leash off, it's the same deal. And we we think the leash is so important because we do want our students to practice with some distractions to to really grow the skill to proof the skill your dog needs to be introduced to some you know things that they might want to go visit or they you know need to uh, really work a little bit to maintain positioning at your side because they maybe that you know there's another dog whatever the, the the distraction is but once you find that your dog is successful with less distractions talk about how uh, someone can introduce some of these distractions to really uh, proof this skill yeah, absolutely. Uh, proofing is so, so important and it often gets overlooked, I find. People go from teaching the dogs the skills that they want to teach in a quiet environment and they think, oh, for the amount of times that we've heard, he does it at home. You know, this is exactly why he does it at home, because at home there's not distractions, they're learning, they're able to focus, and then out there in the real world and out on the road, there's all sorts of things competing for your dog's attention. And if we skip the point where we proof through, we end up in a situation where the dog doesn't understand what it is we want them to do when they're out there faced with real distractions. The proofing is really what trains the dog. So get the teaching in in a quiet environment, but then start to add distractions and start to proof through. You know, I want to maybe still work in my living room, but throw my dog's favorite toys out on the floor, or maybe have one of my dog's favorite person, people in the room so that there's a distraction there and I can work my let's go, um, my nice walking and maybe pass that person and reinforce my dog for hanging in with me rather than looking at that person. And then I'm going to take it out to the driveway and I'm going to make sure that, you know, if there's a kid riding by on a bike, I use that distraction to prove my walking and I make sure that I get in a good history of reinforcement with lots of different distractions out there. The proofing component, I cannot say enough, that is what trains the dog. Teach them the skill, but then make sure you get out there and you proof through as many scenarios as possible so that when your dog is faced with those distractions in real life, you know, fast forward a few months and you're walking down the street and you're enjoying a nice walk and you've weaned away from a lot of food and, and life is great. We want to make sure that that bike coming down the street at this point doesn't throw your dog for a loop. And because they've had history of reinforcement proofing through that, they make a good choice and you can still, of course, choose to reward those things. But the fact that your dog recognizes that scenario makes a good decision based on the history that they have had through proofing is exactly what's going to make you go, 
wow, I did a really good job training my dog to walk nicely. He didn't even budge from my side when that bike just rode by there. So don't ever underestimate how important proofing is and practicing with distractions around. It's tough work. It's going to make you sweat sometimes with a young dog, but it absolutely will pay off in the end. One way that you can set yourself up to be more likely to be successful is to teach your dog to pay attention to you to do some attention exercises with your dog and uh shannon you recently released in our uh workshop our free monthly workshop an attention exercise it's basically an attention skill set and um talk to us just for a minute for for our listeners how they can become a part of this free monthly training because i i'm super excited about it and and the response we've had uh has been really really awesome awesome. So what is the free monthly workshop? It's been amazing. So every month, the first of every month, we release a free workshop. It's usually about three days worth of training. And the first one was an attention workshop. The second one was a crush or feet trick workshop. And the third one, I'm doing the math quickly in my head, I think will be released by the time we post this podcast. But right now we're treating it as a mystery box. So it's you will a have mystery. to sign up a mystery. <laughs> you'll have to sign up for updates you can do that through our website or i'm sure ken will post a link um sign up for updates and we'll make sure that you get that training delivered to your inbox every single month you can join us in the free facebook group as well where there's lots of great discussion happening surrounding these workshops and uh we can all just become better dog trainers together Awesome. I love, I love the idea that we can uh, just help people every single month with something new. And I, I really love the idea that, you know, it's a bit of a secret, you know, once you're on the inside of the group, you get to see these new things as they come out, you get to chat with other group members, but uh, you know, otherwise it's uh, you know, you really don't know what sort of fun thing is uh, coming down down the tracks each month. So it's really, really cool to see. And I will say it's a safety one. Yeah, that's right. And I, that it is really important. I know we mentioned in our last episode that uh, if, if you have an active dog, uh, if you do, uh, you know, some uh, long line off leash stuff with your dog, this skill is essential. And uh, it's super cool to show off to your friends too, if, uh, if they have dogs as well. But Shannon, yeah. I want to thank you for joining us. I think we, um, I hope we provided uh, our listeners, you guys at home uh, with a little bit deeper understanding of how to be successful with teaching your dog to walk nicely on leash, because it's something that everyone has got to do with their dog um, at, at one point or another, and maybe do it on a daily basis. So to have that, ex- to not be stressed about the idea of taking your dog for a walk or not, you know, feel like it's not a, a you know, a super rewarding experience for you. Um, it isn't fun. You want it to be a great time that you can spend with your dog as well as a great time to get out and get some exercise as the uh, warmer weather approaches that, you know, I look f- more and more forward to doing more things outside with our dogs. But if this is your first time on the podcast, make sure you hit that follow or subscribe button. We publish new episodes every single week to help you to understand the why behind how dogs think and learn. And Shannon, I want to thank you for joining us. And if you guys at home are looking for uh, a link to Shannon's blog post, I will uh, put it in the show notes below. On that note, I'm Ken and this is Shannon. Happy training. Bye for now. Bye, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the McCann Dogs podcast. And if you'd like some more training resources, be sure to check us out on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook at McCann Dogs. And if you'd like to train with us online, be sure to check out the show notes below for our My Dog Can online training program, where we know in just a few weeks, your dog will become a well-behaved family member. Until then, happy training.